Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners, fearsome and generous, humble and honest, in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition tells us there's some things we just don't talk about, but not at this table. No matter how hard judgment knocks, it can come in. Beloved here, we live beyond the wreckage. Every week, we experience, educate, encourage, and empower one another. We have a firm belief that everyone not only has a story, but everyone is a story. So we share aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for way too long. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. Each week, we start right where we are. The dress code is your authenticity, your inner awesome, your belief that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. Frankly speaking, with Tyra G is one of my most ambitious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts, your ideas, your presence, and your encouragement. They inspire. I can't do the show without you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27 in Reston. And webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us, no worries. You can catch our archive, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you want to talk to me offline, that's easy. Just email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song and for naming it. I'm listening. For five years, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G has been telling thematic stories to touch the mind, the heart, and the spirit. They've been multicultural, intergenerational, educational, and inspirational. And they've been told by you, my co-host, my listeners. Thank you so much. However, we're in the midst of an ongoing season of uncertainty and unrest, unnatural disasters, and unnecessary violence and death. We've all been touched by a fresh sense of fragility in ourselves and in our social systems. As a result, this has been a testing time, a time to look hard to recognize that we're doing better than we think we are. This is a time to elevate voices of hope. This is a time to reimagine what is essential. This is a time for believers to remember the author of Genesis is also the author of Revelation. He is still in the miracle business. So this is a time to be encouraged. However, on occasion, in order to survive, we're challenged to encourage ourselves 
We need to recognize that we're on a journey, not a destination, a process, not an event. Even when we are still, we are motion, loving, serving, nurturing, encouraging, and empowering. We're love, and love does. But sometimes, sometimes we get stuck between our no longer, the familiar, the habits, and our not yet, who we were created to be. And we might ask the question, am I enough? By the way, the right answer is a resounding yes. Today, I share once more words that awaken from life coach and author in her 2000 book, Until Today, Yvonne, Yvonne Ronson. I quote, Life will work for me when I realize the experience of my faith keeps my faith alive. You must have faith and experience in order to live life fully. You must have faith that all of the things you expect from life are possible for you. You must have faith that no matter what life brings you, you'll be able to handle it. You must have faith that your faith will eventually lead to good experiences. Experiences teach you that your faith is paying off. Once you've had an experience, you know that you know. When you know you know, you become more fruitful. Once you have an experience, you want to have more and better or different experiences. The difference between faith and experience is this. One, you must work on. The other works on you. You must work to keep your faith alive. When you're working on your faith, it may feel like you're going against the grain. There may be no evidence that what you believe has any validity. Still, you must move forward faithfully until you have the experience that will lead you to knowing, an experience that leaves a mark on your consciousness. An experience will guide your thoughts and action. An experience can open your heart to new horizons or close your heart in fear. In the midst of an experience, you must have faith that you will ultimately reap some benefit from what you know and what you know to be true. It's important to know what experience to put your faith in. If you have an unpleasant experience, have faith that you'll learn something new, useful, or productive. When you have a pleasant or productive experience, have faith that you can duplicate the experience and make it better. Have faith in your mind and heart. You will always be open to bigger, better experiences than those you've already had. Now, until today, you may not have realized that your faith and your experiences work hand in hand. But just for today, use your faith to create better experiences. Use your experiences to activate a deeper sense of faith. Your affirmation may sound like this. Today, I am devoted to faithfully seeking to broaden my experiences and to experience at a deeper level of faith. Now, as I read this quote, end quote, by the way, as I read this quote several times, I received it through my life's journey, coming out on the other side of through of any experience with increased faith. 
but I had to first learn that I was worthy of not only surviving but thriving. Until my worthiness was my reality, I stumbled. I tended toward hopelessness rather than hope. I tended toward, oh, it's my fault. Well, my guest this evening expands the conversation about faith through his own life, through his own lens of experiences. You will not only hear, but also feel his story unfold. I'd like to welcome Dr. Emil X. May to the Frankly Speaking Table to introduce himself and share more about who he is. Emil, the mic is now yours. Tyra, thank you so, so much for having me here today. And I'm so joyfully excited and thrilled to um, have the opportunity to share with your audience the um, wonderful experiences that uh, God has brought uh, along my path. Mm. Uh, so by introduction, um, of course, I'm a very minor character in this story because the wonders and the marvels were all by um, the one, our creator, the Almighty. Mm-hmm. And um, the creator is the star of, of these stories. So uh, my name is Emil. Um, I uh, am a uh, retired uh, physician and surgeon. And um, uh, the life story started out, uh, my um, mother was a missionary in Haiti, and um, uh, I grew up in Haiti. Um, my father's from Haiti as well, and uh, we uh, moved to the States. We moved back to the States when um, I was an early teenager, and uh that was a bit of a culture shock because that was in the seventies mm, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, um, I was different, uh, <laughs> learned some things. Um, and then, um, I had during the time in Haiti had, uh, developed a passion for medicine and healthcare because there were, so much there was so much need and in fact uh, part of my job uh, as a youngster in Haiti was uh, carrying medications uh, from our uh, pharmacy to uh, people waiting at the gate uh, so I would carry their prescriptions back and I would carry their medicines to them and um, that uh, started a wonderful journey in healthcare and uh, 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 in 2017, um, I was guided to retire and uh, proceed on a different journey, um, which has been very interesting. And uh, during the course of this, I'll share this with you. Uh, but I would say that as part of this journey, uh, God has uh, brought in such amazing experiences that have uh been like rocket fuel and I think rocket fuel spiritually and uh, I think this is the reason that um, 
we uh, titled it as Wow, uh, God Did That For Me, because God has done so many things for me. And um, not that I'm important, but that uh, God is almighty and God's love is infinite. And mm. uh, this is a way to help me. Uh, I'm thick skulled, so it takes a while for me. And <laughs> this is a way to help me understand the depth of of God's love, regardless of what circumstances look like, uh, because those are all illusory in my way of looking at that or way of thinking about it. Um, and so, uh, so yes, wow, God did that for me. And hopefully I can share with you some experiences that uh, with the audience that will, res- re- will resonate with their own experiences about God's marvel and wonder and mm. magnificence. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, as I listened, um, I was thinking about Haiti healthcare, and I was thinking about yeah. uh, here in the United States, we take a lot for granted. Uh, even though healthcare delivery systems are not equal, even though uh, medication uh, costs are not equal, we still have it available. Uh, I was thinking of Haiti and its history and what drove your mother to become a missionary and uh, you watching her, you and your brother was there as well, right? Yes, indeed. Okay. Yes, indeed. You Two boys growing up in this environment. Um, hmm. I'm just thinking, you said when you came to the States in the 70s in California, I get that. I know what was going on in the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's, let's help the, the audience understand why you said I had a shock. What was going on in Haiti in the 70s? Uh, in, interestingly, it's it's almost a reverse of what is happening now, because there were no such thing as gangs in Haiti. Um, there was very little crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a brutally it was a brutally repressive regime. Yes, um, you know, almost like you think about the Soviet Union, maybe uh, before you know Glasnost and before the dissolution of the mm-hmm. Soviet Empire. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, the uh, uh, Papa Doc Duvalier and, uh, and then his son were both very, very um, stringent dictators, and people disappeared for very little, uh, any, uh, and certainly crime was just not tolerated. So um, it was very repressive. In a sense, though, it was also um, a very, uh, how shall I say, safe environment. Yeah. Um, because people just didn't dare commit crime. Mm-hmm. They were just literally afraid. And they, they didn't dare have any political speech either. That mm-hmm. was very dangerous. In fact, um, one of my best friends, his, um, he's a physician in Haiti now, he's a surgeon, um, he was 10 years old when his father uh, was taken away in the middle of the night and never, never saw his father again. So, 
uh, that was very real. And it was a very real part of the fabric of life. So if, even, if, mm-hmm. if uh, someone got sick, okay, I got the, got the social feel, the repressive yet safe, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, how, how, how is that managed? Okay, do you go to the doctor? Do you have a midwife? How does that work? What was the healthcare system looking like in wow. that, at, during that regime? Well, um, that was not a high priority, and uh, it, it was very difficult. Uh, access to healthcare was very difficult. There was a severe shortage of uh, nurses and physicians and healthcare workers. Uh, resources were not readily available. Um, there were some public hospitals. There's a general hospital in the capital in Port-au-Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, there were some you know, public clinics and so forth. And then there are also private clinics and, and a few private hospitals. But um, it, was, it was very, the, the care that was available was difficult and quite limited. The reason I asked that when you said as a young boy, your job was to take the medication, right, from the pharmacy to the people. And I'm trying to make sure that we have created an image uh, so that we can compare as we go forward. So did people, were they educated to what the illness was, how to manage the care once you gave them the prescription, they knew what to do with it? Yes. Yes, um, they did, and um, um, uh, sometimes that instruction came from me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I I wanted to go back and and make that a footnote. Okay, so here's this young man and his family are coming back to the United States. They come back to California in the 70s. We have an international audience. You want to give about four sentences about what was going on in California in the 70s? <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting. Um, you know, there was, this, there was this, one of the things that was odd to me was there was this whole racial divide uh, or multiple divisions. Uh, and, and there was very much uh, strong racial stereotypes, both in the media and in interpersonal Mm-hmm. Uh, relationships and we didn't really have that in Haiti, uh, and and not not in that way. It was it was much more of a I don't know. It was just different. Um, so that was different. There are also the uh, issues of safety and crime in the seventies uh, yes. because of the uh, drug mm-hmm. drug. Um, uh, epidemic and also uh, gang gang activity uh, and uh, for example in Haiti even something as minimal there was basically no drugs none back then now it's totally different but then there was none so even marijuana could get you in jail for mm. an extended extended years mm-hmm. so um, you know obviously that's over the top, but what what the result of that was that there were no drugs, period, mm-hmm. and um, so that was different. Uh, and then, of course, uh, 
um, the safety issue mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. new. So mm-hmm. we had to kind of pay attention and got beat up a few times just standing on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. um, which was strange to me. It's like, well, why would someone want to <laughs> why would someone want to sock me in the face? But at any rate, uh, that was all a learning process, and uh, we uh, figured it out, and uh, it's all worked out. I wanted our listeners. That was was different. Yeah, I wanted our listeners to hear the cultural uh, differences, and I wanted them to also infer the 70s and today in terms of the cultural uh, landscape. You can get beat up still. (laughs) (laughs) Just standing on the corner. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, Mm -hmm. now in the, against the landscape is this young man, Emil. Okay. So what, what's happening? You, you've given us an inference that your mother was a shero for you in life. Her, her. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yeah. In, In a big way, in a big way, uh, in terms of understanding the primary role of compassion and mercy and love and uh, caring for others as a, as a, as a uh, very foundational purpose in life. And of course, uh, a, a very, uh, um, very God-centered worldview. Great. Okay. All right. So now we've got your Shiro. We've got culture shock. How old are you at this point? Uh, let's see. About 13. Okay. Ooh. Mm. Okay. Middle school and up. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So now we're ready. We're ready for the journal journey that's going to take you up to I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to pursue. But on the way, I want you to share uh, blessings and challenges, if you can or want to. Yes, yes. Um, yes, uh, during those uh, uh, during those early years, things just kind of, I, I didn't realize to be honest with you, I didn't realize the uh, synchronicities or the grace that was occurring um, during those times. But it, it definitely was there. I just didn't uh, have the awareness or maturity to perceive it. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, yes. Yeah, so um, we uh, there wasn't much money, but we got by, and I didn't really lack for anything to be honest with you um, so um, um, the uh, I applied to medical school early okay and um, it was really very silly but I just thought I would try and see what happened and so I applied to just one school and uh, my friend uh, at USC, I didn't have a suit, so my friend at USC, Kate, he was a much bigger guy than I, but he, he borrowed me a suit. He was so kind. Uh, <laughs> a guy from uh, Lebanon, I'll never forget. He, 
just very nice. He says, well, you can use my suit. I said, oh, because I was saying <laughs> I have to get a suit to go to the interview. So at any rate, uh, that all worked out, and um, they uh, accepted me, and um, it was a great experience there. And uh, I met my uh, wife while I was there, mm-hmm. and uh, we were married um, the, uh, eight years later. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I uh, did uh, residency at USC, mm-hmm. and... Um, that was a wonderful experience um, because you it, it it was a wonderful experience not only uh, in terms of the learning and the teaching but it also there was also so much opportunity for service and um, it, it just felt like you know the people there might not have might have difficulty accessing care otherwise so you were Yes. Felt like you were yes. helping in, in, a, in, a, in a socially impactful way. And that seems to and, be one of your themes. You, that seems to be one of your passions, social impact. And um, I would say that that's a, that's a tattoo on your heart. And uh, yeah. So with that in mind, let's let's go forward and see, because I really want to get you to retirement and now this new the new you yes so um you were you uh i did want to mention something briefly because you touched on it and it reminded me of something and and um that was you know um you know your 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 um your exploration and discussion of gratitude and and how privileged we are. Um, I remember on a, uh, a mission trip that I made to Haiti, mm-hmm. um, you know, after having been in practice for some time here, and this was after the uh, earthquakes. Mm, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The devastating earthquakes that occurred there, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I literally, um, I literally saw and spoke with uh, six, six people uh, within the first week, uh, less, than the, less than the first week that I was there, mm-hmm. uh, all who had directly been um, dramatically impacted um, by the earthquake. And then certainly subsequently during my time there, I probably spoke with 20 people. Mm-hmm. And what struck me uh, was literally the genuine gratitude mm-hmm. that people had. What do I mean by that? Well, there was a young man who was actually working as an interpreter to help some of the other um, you know, staff that were coming to volunteer. Mm-hmm. And I was having a conversation with him and he proceeded to explain to me that he had been, that his house had collapsed uh, on him and that he was trapped under uh, a concrete wall mm. for three days mm. uh, before he was able to be extricated, mm-hmm. and all he could all he could say was how grateful he was mm. that his life was saved. There was no why me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
He never expressed any anger or mm. disappointment. Mm-hmm. It was all complete gratitude. And that was the theme repeatedly, uh, whether, you know, another man had had stepped out of his house at lunchtime mm-hmm. and the house collapsed on all of his family. He lost all of his family. Mm-hmm. And he was grateful that he was still alive. Um, you know, I think... Um... It, it was just time... It was just repeatedly time after time after time. That was the whole thing. That was the the attitude. What I think we miss, I know my Rotary Club, Rotary period, sent and continues to send to Haiti to help them restart schools and build homes, etc. But um, sometimes we don't have the cultural competence to go in and give. And we also don't have the cultural competence to understand what you're talking about. That kind of gratitude, you know? Because we have so much. Relatively, we have so much. And um, for me, working in underdeveloped situations, the fact that you showed up, period, was... uh, often received with a huge amount of gratitude, like, you came, you know. So um, I hope people understand through your words. Uh, I hope they have an image on their heart now of what it was like and what you went to give and what it felt like to receive their gratitude. Yes, and to receive their wisdom and instruction. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not forget that. Absolutely. And I, I know you di- you digress to put that footnote in there. I'm sorry. I had you on a journey, and now. Oh, no, 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 no problem, no problem. Um, yes, so um, I'm, I'm feeling like I should talk about the decision to retire because I, I retired um, probably about five, no, probably about, yeah, so a number of years before I would have planned it in, in my own mind. Yes. So um, I was um, uh, uh, during the during this period of well, anyway. So let me just see what I'm supposed to say here. Um, okay. So during this period, um, I uh, kept during meditation and prayer. I kept being told that uh, I should. Uh, uh, plan to retire the following year. And um, I first, I'm kind of thick skull, so it takes me a while, but I, I first was resisting and saying, well, no, you know, whatever excuses, they're all excuses. Plus, I really enjoyed work. I really enjoyed surgery, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and I really enjoyed the patient interactions as well and the interactions and the teamwork and collaboration with other colleagues and the nurses and the other staff. So it was just a fun. I always, every day that I went to work, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Even when I was sleep deprived or tired or whatever, it was always fun. But anyway, I was guided to, to do that and I was guided to uh, work on some projects, which I'll, I'll talk about some more later. At any rate, um, I remember um, a month before my actual retirement date, uh, 
I was praying and um, I was told that after I retire that I should do I should pursue no medical work um, for six months that I should just lay off like cold turkey completely because I had plans I was going to do you know per diem, some part-time, whatever, consulting. That was a meal. That was the little plan. It wasn't the big plan. The big plan was, no, you're going to make a break for six months. And uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I was arguing with God, and I kept asking again. I said, but what, 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 why, can't, why can't I you know, do something? And it, the answer kept being no. And then uh, later then I said, well, Okay, so I guess the I guess I won't I, I, I guess I can't I, I don't I don't know why this is I was still a little bit protesting and then one day I went in to the uh, to the in uh, the hospital for rounds in the morning and uh, I went on the floor uh, I had a list of patients to see I not only was rounding on my own patients but I was rounding on uh, patients for my colleagues who were, you know, either at another hospital or operating and they couldn't, you know, see them. So they had, they had signed those patients out to me for the day. So, um, I went into this lady's, this woman's room and, um, we had never met before. Um, she had never heard anything of me. I had never met her. So uh, I walked in and, uh, I walked in directly, so I, I hadn't stopped at the nursing station or talked with anyone before. I just, I was in a hurry, and I walked directly into a room and was talking with her. And um, uh, she had an obstruction of her intestines, and I was giving her good news that it looked like it was improving and, uh, you know, telling her what the plan would be in terms of the remainder of her care for the, for the probable projected three days that she would be uh, uh, ready for a discharge home and after I finished with that and explained that to her it was the very strangest thing because uh, she looked at me and she went into this uh, this just conversation that spontaneously like a speech and she looked at me in the eye and she said you know something she says uh, when a person retires, now, need, need, let me just back up a little bit and say that at this point, I was 57 years old, and I didn't have any gray hair at all. I have, I have plenty now. No gray hair. I you know, had on my scrubs. I, I didn't necessarily look like somebody that was about to retire. Uh, but she looked at me in the eye, and she said, you know something? When a person retires... Um, it really takes about six months for them to, excuse me, for them to, for them to reset and figure out what they're going to be doing. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, how did she think of saying this to me and to tell me the exact same message that I received repeatedly in prayer and had sort of rejected. And I hadn't discussed it with anyone, actually. 
except maybe my wife at home, but I hadn't discussed it with anyone at work. So there's no way she would have independently known anything about that. Or even that I was retiring. She wouldn't have known because literally I walked directly from the hallway into her room. Um, so the nurses couldn't have known that I was going to be rounding and they couldn't have told her anything. So anyway, that, that was a God story to just, um, you know, that despite explaining it to me in prayer, that God's love extended and patience extended to talk to me through someone else, through his vessel, to confirm the divine plan. To me, that's a wow God did that for me. All right. All right. Yeah. So you retired. Uh, so I did do that. I want to make sure. Hey, I want to make sure we get to now. All right. (laughs) Since we're both a slave of the clock. (laughs) Okay. Now you're retired. Now you're retired. Yes. So I was, um, uh, after retirement, I was blessed to uh, uh, work with uh, students, uh, some young people on um, uh, emotional self regulation. Mm hmm. And uh, that was brought to me because I realized that as I had uh, been training and learned how to meditate um, and learn to learn to manage emotional reactions, um, I had come to understand how beneficial that had been to me over the prior 10 years and come to understand how my experience of life was so much more full and so much more joyful as a result. And so um, a a retired school principal and I created a curriculum teaching emotional self-regulation. And um, that was a big part, I think, of uh, why I was supposed to retire when I did. But there was another piece that happened, actually, and that is... um, Hmm... There was another piece that happened, actually, and that is that um, uh, I had a um, I had several experiences that were uh, leading me to understand that um, I would be uh, doing this work with young people um, in a number of settings. And um, how's our time, Ty? Um. Not long. Okay. Let me see what I'm supposed to share with you here. So uh, one of the things uh, that I had received during prayer was that um, that uh, I am to. This is before I. This is before I uh, started that curriculum with the principal. Was that uh, I was to, um, you know, work with young people to to teach them teach this. Um, and, uh, and also do it, um, I also had received, uh, guidance that at some point I would be working in Panama to do the same work. At any rate, um, uh, I'll tell you one of two things that happened. There were three things that happened actually independently. Um, but I was, uh, I, uh, was walking into work to make rounds and, um, 
as I walked into a breezeway, one of the um, uh, anesthesia nurses uh, was walking out. And uh, we sort of met each other in the breezeway. And uh, I, I have to say that at this hospital, actually neither hospital, but at this hospital that, that I was walking into, I had never mentioned anything about uh, Panama or Central America or South America at all. It had never crossed my lips. At any rate, um, as this nurse was walking out, she explained to me that this was her last day at work, and she was quite uh, happy about her new career that she was pursuing. She had gone to nurse practitioner school. And uh, she looked at me in the eye, and it was a similar kind of thing. It was just sort of this funny look. She looked at me in the eye, and she said, why don't you tell me some more about your trip to Panama? And... Uh, up to this point, I have not been to Panama yet. Um, and I asked her, well, explain to me what you mean. She says, you know, she says, you remember you were talking to me about how you were on a mountaintop in Panama and you could, you had a beautiful view and you could see the Pacific Ocean on one side and you could see the Atlantic Ocean on another side. Um, this had never crossed my lips. So um, I thanked her, and then I realized that this was uh, divine confirmation to me that that was part of the, the plan. Um, fast forward um, two years later, um, a year and a half or two later, um, I was uh, doing some uh, I was doing some jogging, some running. And after I ran up a hill, I noticed that I was out of breath for 15 minutes, which was quite strange. So uh, I went in and had a checkup and uh, found out that I had lung cancer. Uh, and in fact, I had a stage four lung cancer. It had spread kind of everywhere um, and not non -cur incurable uh, medically. Uh, it was... Uh, it had spread into my uh, both lungs. Uh, there are about like 14 spots. It had spread to the surface of the lung. There was just like sheets of tumor over the surface of the lung. It had spread into my liver. It had spread into other glands and my other gland in my abdomen. And it had spread. Uh, I had two brain tumors that were that were from that same thing from the lung cancer. And there was a big mass in my right upper lung about. Uh, six centimeters in size, so about um, two, a little more than two, two and a half inches, two and a quarter inches. So at any rate, um, the, uh, um, I just want to kind of move forward through that because there were so many experiences of divine grace that happened um, uh, related to this. Um, one of them was that... Um, Actually, I think I'm supposed to cut to the chase on this one. So I'm going to go directly to... Let, um, me, let me help you, okay? Because yeah, to yeah. me, this is the pinnacle of what we wanted to get to. And I mm -hmm. want also to be able to give you full time for your letter. So can you pick two or three of the most salient points that, that speak to the divine intervention? Um, yes. 
so um So, um, initially, when this happened, um, um, I was confused because literally um, I knew of three projects that were divinely given to me, and there are long stories around each one of them, but one of them is Panama, which literally uh, two independent people that knew nothing about it, including that nurse is one of them, would came to me and told me about Panama out of the blue. Um, the other two projects, there were three projects, the other two projects, uh, I mean the other projects, um, I had known about and it had been independently verified. So I knew that these were all like divinely ordained. Uh, when I say independently verified, I mean like total strangers or people that had yeah. no knowledge of it walk yeah. up to me and tell me verbatim yeah. what I was told in prayer and meditation prior. Yeah. So um, at this point when I got this, uh, understanding that this is like a six-month prognosis, one year tops, Right. Um, I was asking God, like, well, I don't understand, like, does, do you change it? I know God doesn't, that God doesn't, God is is everything. God is timeless. So God doesn't change opinion uh, or plan. So I just didn't, I couldn't quite wrap my head around, well, I know that I was told that I needed to do this. And from a intellectual medical standpoint, I knew that, I, un I thought that my diagnosis was incompatible with completing those projects. Correct. What do I know? Silly me. Yeah. Like it's a silly old rabbit. So um, I was praying uh, for three days straight, and I kept asking. I said, you know, Lord, I, I didn't really come to this planet to fight. Um, I came to this planet to obey you and to serve. And if I'm supposed to go home, uh, I'm, you know, I'm very okay to do that and I will float down the river into the ocean and come home. I'll just relax into it. Uh, I'm not here to be angry or fight anything. And I kept asking, but I just need to understand, like, you gave me these projects, and am I supposed to finish them or not, or what? what's going on? And I didn't get an answer the first day. And then I kept praying and meditating the second day. I didn't get an answer the third day. It came as clear as a bell. And the answer was, do not be attached to the outcome. Simply follow the steps that you are given to do. Meaning like to, to follow the care, you know, follow my care and do the steps towards health. And I said, okay, I can do that. I said, yes. I can do that, Lord. I will do that. And um, that's what I've been doing the past almost two and a half years now. My oncologist is shocked that I'm still here. And that's, um, that's, that's where I want the crescendo to come, okay? Um, yeah. You've given us the reality, and you walked us into the miracle. So I want you to express what you've learned about 
divine intervention and what's promoted you to this point. And unfortunately, uh, we only have about uh, three minutes for you to do that. Okay. Um, I'll tell you two things briefly. One of them was that out of this whole time, I never was depressed. I was never despondent. The one night, the one evening that I did get depressed and despondent, which was six months into the course of this, it was after a uh, uh, dose of chemotherapy, I did get despondent, I did get sad, and I did get depressed. And literally, within 10 minutes of that occurring, I get a text message at like 11.30 at night, almost midnight, which no one ever does. No one does that. I haven't had that happen in probably two years or more. <clears throat> My brother did that by accident because he was in Liberia. and He missed the time zone situation. So uh, this friend text messaged me and basically was telling me that, thanking me for sharing my experience with her because it was so encouraging to her. And do you know, as soon as I read that text message, the depression left immediately. Um, and I realized that was a divine intervention. Um, the other divine intervention, uh, which I'm going to compress into like a minute. 30 seconds. For 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see how to do this. During prayer, over three days, I was told that I should create a website with complimentary you know, alternative cancer treatments, like natural cancer treatments that can be added to regular treatments. This is a very difficult thing to find, even for me as a physician. It was very, very difficult, and I literally spent 8 to 12 hours a day, um, um, you know, researching it, and it was still very difficult. So um, I was told during prayer to create a website so that uh, people could find the information in one place. Literally, the next day, a friend called me that I hadn't talked with for a few months, and he proceeded to tell me the very same thing out of the blue, the, literally the very same thing. And then the following day, uh, not only did he tell me that, but he told me he would like to pay for the website. The following day at a prayer group, and again, I never mentioned this to anybody, not even my wife, uh, when I walked up to the prayer group, the first thing the person stood up and looked me in the eye and asked me, did I ever think of creating a website with these complimentary treatments that I've been learning about? So um, at that point, I realized that God had given me yet another job. <laughs> and so um, God is good, and um, God has a plan and purpose for all of us, and God is infinitely merciful. Wow. God did that for you and continues to do it for you. And I'm going to walk you in quickly to your letter to your younger self because I know it's powerful. And I want you to be mindful of the clock, okay? Okay. Uh, I'll uh, go ahead and read it now then. Yes. Emil, uh, this is you after 45 additional years of life experience and learning. Are you open to hear some loving thoughts from a future self. As you are aware, your choices and the decisions of those on the planet with you blend, 
to create an unpredictable and evolving story. This loving advice will apply to your story on any coming timeline. Your time on Earth is a phenomenal creation of divine consciousness. I urge you to experience it fully and resolutely engage your spirit, heart, intellect, and body in this grand adventure. Seek to equally attend to the material world while at the same time engaging the spiritual transcendent dimension. In other words, keep one foot in both worlds. In my timeline, I made a mistake of focusing my awareness in one realm at a time. This was a great mistake because our experience in the created world is a privileged opportunity to love, serve, and worship the Almighty in ways that only a physical being connected with the transcendent can do. Allow each failure, achievement, sorrow, joy, sickness, vitality, transgression, and triumph to draw you more closely into the infinite love of your Lord. You are continuously, infinitely, and eternally loved by the One. Is that your end? That's it. Wow. I am so proud of you. <laughs> I am so proud of you. Uh, I want to thank you. I want to capitalize on my... Uh, my computer just went out. I want to capitalize on my hearing of you feeling of you and your message today and that is you have experienced dual worldly experiences a divine experience and a worldly experience and they brought you to this point and you're still here and um, I think most of us just don't understand we just don't understand how powerful our creator is so I want to congratulate you. I walk in that space of faith myself, and I know that your story is going to resonate. I know that there are people out there that uh, I always have a little spiritual doggy bag for them because there are days and hours between now and the next time when they're saying, is this all there is? Or I'm tired of being tired. And it's during those moments during those moments, I want uh, people to understand that uh, there is a message, and this message is from God. It is written by uh, Glennel Doyle. I'm trying to get my computer back up as I talk. Okay, here it is. And this message is a note from love also known as God stop stop holding your breath breathe there's enough excuse me 
there's enough. I've created an abundance of acceptance, attention, recognition, joy, peace, money, energy, clothes, food. I will never leave you without enough. And there's nothing to be afraid of. No feeling, no circumstance, no person. These things come and they go and you can live without them. Without running, hiding, numbing, or hurting one another, my children. And did you know this, my angel? There's never been anything wrong with you. Not one day in your life. You're exactly who you were meant to be right now as you are. Did you hear that, Emil? You're not to yes. be ashamed. You punish yourself, but you have no reason to be punished. You can stop now. You're free. When you were born, I put a piece of me like an indestructible, brilliant diamond. I placed a part of me in you. It is love. And love is perfect. Remember, my friends, you are amazing just as you are. You're stronger than you feel, smarter than you know, more beautiful than you believe, and more love than you can ever imagine. Please treat yourself like someone you love because you were created by ultimate love. Until next time, this is Tyra G. Thanking you. Again, my guest was, is, Mr. Emil Exume. I hope you felt the spirit moving. Until next time, this is Tyra G.